0: Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Wonderful Buzz Podcast with me, your host, Susan Pallister. Now, today we're going to be celebrating the joys of pet ownership. I'm going to begin with a little quiz, and I've got two people who've agreed to join me today and take part in the quiz. Hello, Rosalie. Hello, Susan. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Susan. I've got two questions for you. Might have not prepared anything. Uh, Let's see how you get on. So, first question is, what percentage of the British public own a dog? 40. Okay. What percentage of the British public own a cat? 30. What percentage of the British public own An animal. 45.
1: 45? Oh, I'd have to say it's in the 80%. Must be. I reckon about 82%. 82%. Thank
0: you. Do you want to know the answer? I'm dying to know the answer. Okay, so it's 51% of the British public are pet owners of some shape or form. Is it? Yeah. they're lying. <laughs> it's
1: probably because they're not supposed to have animals in their flats.
0: And then 26% own a dog and 24% own a cat. Right. So I was right that the cat is lower. I was not too far off. You weren't yeah, too far off. I thought, I thought the figure I gave you were probably on the site, but yeah. obviously, yeah. Well, they're the two most popular pets, and then the others drop down quite quite significantly. Okay. So, Catherine will be joining me a little bit later on in the programme, but what I wanted to do now was to just give this a historical context. So, when did pet ownership really take off in the United Kingdom? we to start in the Victorian period, because there is evidence that there are children's books, advice books, that began to encourage young children to keep small animals, mainly rabbits, guinea pigs and birds. And the idea was to cultivate a sense of commitment to create caring values and give them practical skills. And there was an emphasis, particularly on boys. And they were expected to learn kindness from bringing up and looking after these animals. Now, while the Victorians celebrated the keeping of pets, looking after pets, there was less consciousness of the harm that might actually be caused to animals if you remove them from their natural habitats. And we do know that mice, rabbits, squirrels, hedgehogs, and all kinds of British birds regularly featured in these advice manuals. And I have some information here about hedgehogs. They were frequently captured and sold in London markets. And the reason they did this was because the hedgehogs would eat black beetles and so this made them very valuable in London kitchens as they were thought to improve the cleanliness of the home. But how to care for them and feed them obviously wasn't well understood and these poor little hedgehogs tended not to survive for very long periods. And in working class culture, it was the birds that played an important role in their lives. But removing them was quite contentious and in the 1870s legislation was actually passed to limit when these birds these wild birds could actually be captured however markets trading in wild birds continued to operate well into the 20th century we're going to move on to the early 20th century and that altered the way people kept domesticated pets The building of new suburban houses with larger gardens in the interwar period created a new, more spacious environment for animals. And an increasing urban population was encouraged to take in pets. And this is where we see the growth of pedigree cats living exclusively indoors. So in terms of our much-loved pets, the evidence shows that interacting with animals can have a range benefits to our mental and physical health. Studies have shown that for example owning animals may encourage us to take more physical activity and this is especially true for dog and horse owners. Research has also suggested that pets may be beneficial for our mental health and well-being due to the attachment to or the companionship provided by our pets. However On the other end of the spectrum, research indicates that pets sometimes can exacerbate mental health symptoms for some people. Increased guilt, excessive worry have been shown, especially for those people who display a strong attachment to their pets. Now, this episode of The Wonderful Us podcast is actually dedicated to the very first cats that I ever owned. And they were my pixie bob cats, Ellie and Sasha. Amazing little cats, and they just made, I suppose, my life bearable. Moving to the West Midlands, not knowing anyone, a new job, new life, really. And sometimes feeling that I didn't fit in. And Ellie and Sasha came into my life and just made the world a difference. And this passage always helps me to make sense of losing a pet, and particularly losing those two little cats, Ellie And Sasha. And it's an extract from an article that was published in the New Statesman. It's called What Cats Can Teach Us, and it's by John Gray. Cats show no sign of regretting the past or fretting about the future. They live absorbed in the present moment. It will be said that this is because they can't envision the past or the future. Perhaps so. Though their habit of demanding their breakfast at the accustomed hour shows they do have a sense of the passage of time. But cats, unlike people, are not haunted by an anxious sense that time is slipping away. Not thinking of their lives as stories in which they are moving towards some better state. They meet each day as it comes. They do not waste their lives dreading the time when their lives must end. Not fearing death, they enjoy a kind of immortality. So I want to end this programme with some words from Catherine, who we met at the start of the show. Catherine is going to tell us all about one of her pets. Over to you, Catherine.
1: Okay, so I'm going to talk about my Jack Russell terrier, Lewis. Um, So I had him approximately eight years ago. He was a rescue from the Dogs Trust. Um, i previously had a Cock Spaniel um, who I'd had for about 15 years uh, who had died and I was ready for another dog in my life but because Charlie had been um, quite old and he was blind, he had dementia towards the end, I was sort of used to having an older dog so when I went to the Dogs Trust it was an older dog that I was looking for Mm-hmm. Um, and the Dogs Trust introduced me to Lewis and um, they aged him at somewhere between three and ten um when we met him um, so right. they, they basically had no idea how old he was. He was uh, picked up as a, an Irish stray um, and brought to this country and he had cataracts in both eyes so he was partially blind um, and they always say when you go to these rescue homes, you don't pick the dog, the dog picks you. And that was absolutely the case. Lewis, when we, when I went up to the, the um, kind of, I don't know, perspex um, barrier between us, he got straight out of his bed. He came up to the window and he wanted to meet us. So we asked to meet him and we had, there's like a run out the back of the dog's trust and you take him for a walk and I instantly fell in love with it. Lewis is definitely the most intelligent dog that I've ever met. I have to be so careful about what I do and say because he knows. He always knows. I I was going to say he's academically very bright. I can teach him all kinds of things, you know, and and as an older dog, he's learnt so many things and he he picks up commands very quickly. I even started teaching him French during the lockdown, so he knows his commands in French now as well. But I think he's emotionally very bright as well. He, I know a lot. Everybody says it, but he knows if I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I want a cuddle, if I want space. He knows. He's we are a, a proper pack together.
0: And what's the naughtiest thing he's ever
1: done? Um, <laughs> he <laughs> he stole a bag of raw hide bones from a pet shop and ran out the front on his extendable lead and just started tearing them to pieces, and I ended up having to
0: buy them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness me. (laughs) And what's the nicest thing he's ever done?
1: Oh, he does so much, everything he does. Um, I think, you know, I think it's those moments, isn't it, when you you feel that real connection between them, if you're, you know, feeling a little bit low, and you sit down and they don't just get on your knee they look up at you and they might paw at me or he might nuzzle his head into my side and it's like I say it's like an emotional intelligence that he knows and he wants to be there for me and it's those moments that I just want to give him a good squeeze and thank him for what he does for me
0: oh that's lovely thanks Catherine you have been listening to the wonderful us podcast where everything is interesting and everything is good.